a man, a car, and a death in the middle of the afternoon in Hollywood. We've all heard of the stories of a cursed film, but today we're going to take a look at a cursed script. And then we traveled to Scotland to go on a camping trip with a man and his dog. It was just intended to be a fun night, but we don't cover fun nights on this podcast. It's supposed to be intended just to be a normal, non-paranormal night. But instead, he came face to face with eternal darkness. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had an awesome week and we got a ton of stuff to cover. So first off, let's introduce our newest Patreon supporter. We're getting so many Patreon supporters. I really, really appreciate this, guys. Our newest Patreon supporter writing in on himself because there's no way I can top this name. There's no object it can come in on. Our newest Patreon supporter, a creamy squid. It's a, I don't know if it's a squid made of cream. I don't know if it's a squid that shoots out cream. Both are disgusting. But a creamy squid as you ooze your way into Dead Rabbit Command, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You guys can't support the Patreon, or if you're not that disgusting, that's preferable. The second part is, just spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Creamy squid. Squids have, what, ten arms, right? Doesn't matter. I'm just going to toss you the keys. I'm not going to toss you ten sets of keys. A creamy squid. I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're taking a trip down to California, specifically Hollywood. Da-da, 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 da-da. I don't know why I'm doing that song. This story's super depressing. Probably shouldn't have a funny, copyright-free version of Huey Lewis and the News. It's Sunset Boulevard. This happened just, just yesterday, April 24th. April 24th, 2021. We're on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. It's 2.37. I know you're going to imagine... I know you're going to imagine a creamy squid driving a car during the segment, but everything else is completely serious. This is tragic. There's a police officer en route to a distress call, a phone call. Help me, help me. It's Lois Lane falling off of a building. He's on his way to the scene of a crime or a traffic stop. It doesn't matter. He's there on police business. And as he's driving down the road, a car cuts him off. And the cop's like, it's the wrong person to cut off. I have lights on, obviously. Then the car in front of the cop hits their brakes. The police officer then has to brake. So now both cars are coming to a stop. And then the car in front of the officer hits reverse, and crashes into the car. So first off, you could think, maybe the guy didn't see me. Maybe it's a blind guy and I should pull him over for driving. Or he's just a jerk or whatever. We'll give him a ticket. But once he starts doing all that other shenanigans, something's really up. Police officer jumps out. The driver jumps out. Police officer sizes him up and realizes he's wearing bulletproof vest. He's wearing bulletproof armor. And he has one arm behind his back. And he goes, three... Two. I don't know if he sounded like the Joker, but he probably did, considering the details are about to go to you. Riddle me this, police officer. Three, two, one. And as the man starts moving his hand from behind his back, which the police officer figures is a gun, pop, 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 pop. He shoots the dude. Guy dies. We don't know the name of this suspect. We don't have an age or anything. This information is coming out. It's brand new. Street-level crime. It happens all the time. This is a true crime podcast, but we don't normally cover local news stories. Well, we do, but when they involve weird stuff. This story got really weird really quickly. I saw it on the news. Officer involved shooting in Hollywood, and I 
was like, okay, that sucks. Like, it, but it happens. Quickly after this, images of this man's vehicle started to appear online. The car was one of those cars that had writing all over it. Not <laughs> like it says Toyota, where it has like, you could tell they bought decals. Like the car from Stephen King killed John Lennon. Just so one of my favorite conspiracy theories of all time. I covered it in two episodes, episode four and five. I don't think I've ever done a double episode like that before. They use their whole vehicle, basically imagine bumper stickers, but the bumper stickers are a sentence instead of just little individual sentences. They, they, they're a paragraph. They tell a whole story. It's all chapter one on the bumper. These were what the decals on his car said. One of them said 333. The other one said 666. That's not good, right? One of them said New World Order. And then underneath it, Women Rule. And when I first read it, it's funny, someone was joking about it on the X board. When I first read it, I thought he was saying, go women. It was just a weird, like, I, I don't know if that's what he's saying. I don't know if he's a huge fan of women. He has a little pennant that says women. Well, he doesn't have anything now because he's unfortunately been shot. I mean, he's obviously suffering from some sort of mental distress. But women rule. I don't know if that's like an anti-feminist thing or a pro-feminist thing. Then he has a paragraph on his door, on his... It goes across both car doors. All the T's are upside down. There's a ton of misspellings, and this is what it says. And thank you to the anonymous user on X who helped to translate this, because I was like, I'm having a hard time with that last two sentences. This is what it says. I'm Truman. I'm Satan. Lost Angel of Hollywood. That's actually really evocative. It's interesting. The reason why I wanted to read this, because it, it's kind of cool. It's kind of raw. It's kind of punk rock. The problem is, is that I think he took it seriously. If you, if these were lines in a Marilyn Manson song, it'd be dope. The "I Am Truman" is a reference to what I, I believe at least, the Truman Show delusion. We covered it on a show a long time ago. I'll put it in the show notes. There are people who believe the entire world revolves around them to the point that everything is a movie set and they're constantly being filmed. It's a deeper version of gang stalking, where they're the star of a television show and and we're all watching it. I'm Truman, I'm Satan, lost angel of Hollywood. I'm a rock star. Jesus Christ is my son. He is black. Mary is my wife. So, I guess I, I, I kind of glossed over all that stuff. I wanted to detail about the Truman Show. And I'm just like, oh yeah, no, he just happens to be Jesus' dad. And I just keep going on. So this man, I just, when you research this stuff long enough, I'm like, oh, that's normal. I've seen stuff like that before. So let me continue before I actually break this down. Even though I did gloss over that. Jesus Christ is my son. He is black. Mary is my wife. We created this world, not God. Take our son off the cross. Cancel all Bibles. So that's just weird, right? Because kind of a key component of Jesus is the fact that I don't want to... <laughs> Whenever I turn into a biblical podcast, people shut it off. But a key point of Jesus Christ is the fact that he was crucified and then came back from the dead. Is he saying don't that never happened? That that was fake news? Is he saying that it did happen but don't have an icon of it? Um, is he saying that he created the universe if God did... I, I, is he 2,000 years old? Is this man, did he have a giant beard when the police shot him? And then, just when he thought it couldn't get any more confusing, he's Jesus' dad. God isn't. Mary is his wife. And take my son off the cross. Take my son off the cross. Cancel all Bibles, which, again, is bizarre. He then goes on to say, Mary is Illuminati. So now Mary is a bad guy? <laughs> he's looking over at his wife, and his wife's a lizard person? 
It's funny, I originally just I originally had this segment about how I thought conspiracy theorists were going to be committing more crimes, and I said something on a recent episode. I didn't think I'd do a breakdown of this as much, but now that I'm in the Haunted Closet studio, I'm looking at it. He's married to Mary, and Mary is the mother of Jesus, but she's also Illuminati, so wouldn't that make him an ally of the Illuminati? Maybe he is. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. He does have 666 New World Order on his car. But he also says that women rule, so who knows? Mary is Illuminati. And then he goes, you're all in my matrix. And then free my son. Satan is the ending. So he's pleading to Satan to free his son. Or possibly free my son. Satan. <laughs> That's his signature because there's a little comma there. Maybe he is Satan. And it's really hard to tell. It could be because, again, he has 666 on his car. I don't think Satan's the world's biggest feminist. I, that that kind of throws me off. Women rule. I guess someone, and I who knows about this, but someone did pull up an archived post from the export on April 21st saying, F it all, I'm doing this, watch the news type of thing. And it went on for maybe eight or ten comments. And, and he goes, I'm going to hell and the devil's going to like give me a high five and stuff like that. And, and then the thread just kind of ends. So that could have been this dude. Maybe not. Maybe it's a totally unrelated thing. That's a thing with an anonymous board. We don't know. Law enforcement obviously knows. All of those websites are heavily, heavily monitored. Doesn't matter how many VPNs you're hiding behind. Everyone knows what you're doing online. But it's an interesting story. The Really, the reason why I wanted to tell it, I didn't expect for it to go on this long, is I, I, I do believe we're reaching a zenith of where we're going to start to see more weirdos acting out their conspiracy fantasies because the once the fuel runs out on those conspiracies once you realize that x event isn't going to happen that this great thing isn't going to happen that the awakening or the blue beam invasion or the downfall or whatever it is isn't going to happen you're going to th mo mo most rational people go oh uh, that guy said the world's going to end and it didn't end, but I'll, I'll, I'll let him predict it two more times. And after two more times, they go, ah, okay, I was fooled. Or they'll figure out a way to back out to get out of that sunken cost fallacy. That's how most people deal with it. And then they just stop talking about it. And the best thing you can do is never bring it back up. If you know someone who believed in a failed prophecy, like 2012 or something like that, don't keep going, hey man, why are those mine God streeting you? Just kind of drop it after a certain point, even though they were super adamant beforehand but some of them are going to, a very very small minority of them are going to act out on it but when you have more people than ever believing in conspiracy theories i don't have a site i don't have proof of that but it just feels like more people than ever on every political aisle every religious group believes in conspiracy theories more than ever that small minority is bigger than it used to be so I think we're going to see more stuff like this, more people jumping out. And it's funny because I was when I first saw the headline, I thought I thought immediately popped suicide by cop. When I was kind of looking at the article, I didn't really dig into it. And it was first on the news. I like, oh, it's some guy probably wanted to kill himself, but he's wearing body armor. So that wouldn't make sense. Why was he wearing body armor if he wanted to kill himself? He may have been on a mission. He may have been trying to wake us up from the Matrix. He could have been trying to send a signal to the Illuminati. He should have just turned over to his wife, Mary, and go, hey, hey, I got a message for you. But whatever the case, um, he's dead because of his 
delusion. And I think we're going to see more of it. And that's quite frightening. A Creamy Squid, let's go ahead and leave the Jason Jalopy here on Hollywood Boulevard. Hopefully nobody steals it. It hasn't been stolen yet, surprisingly, in all the places we've left it. Let's go ahead and hop in the debt. Wait, no, we're still in Hollywood. But because I want to give you another vehicle, let's go ahead and hop on the Bunny Bicycle. Whoa, this is so eco-friendly. I just came up with this. A Creamy Squid, you have the honor of taking us on the very first Bunny Bicycle ride. We're sitting on the handlebars. Wee! Wee! We are headed out from this street, Sunset Boulevard, to a movie studio also in Hollywood. Cling, ling! Cling, ling! That's the bell. Jason, I knew what that sound effect was, you dork. I knew, I totally knew what's a bicycle bell. We pull into a movie set. And we're walking around. Now, I had recently read a Rotten Tomatoes article about cursed films. And it'll be in the show notes. You guys will feel free to look through it. I'm sure you guys know most of the stories. The Omen was cursed. Because a bunch of people, like, some dude's uncle died on the set. He didn't die on the set. Like, some dude's uncle died. And then one of the actors died. And then someone got in a car accident on, like, Omen. There's, like, a road in Germany called Omen. They died at, like, 666 kilometers or something. You can tell, you can tell how enthusiastic I am about all that stuff. Poltergeist, a couple of people died after the shooting of the movie. Stuff like that. Cursed films, Rosemary's Baby, they, and they, that one really wasn't cursed at all. They do, there is an, an honorable mention. There's a movie, I don't think I ever talked about it on the show. I watched it probably about a year or two ago when it first came out called Antrim. The most dangerous movie ever made. It's one of those... Mockumentary. The first 10 minutes of it is a mockumentary saying the movie you're about to watch is so demonic that everyone who watches it dies. And But here we go. Shout Factory is releasing it for the first time on DVD. And it's fake. Like the opening mockumentary stuff, it's all totally made up. It was, the movie itself is actually really interesting. I thought when I watched it, I said, ah, it's okay. So I didn't recommend it on the show. I never talked about it on the show that I can recall. I might have mentioned it. I watched it maybe a year and a half ago. I still remember scenes from it vividly. That, to me, means it's a good movie in some fashion or another. It wasn't terrible. So I don't know if I'd give it a full Dead or Rabbit recommends, but if you're looking for something to watch on a Saturday afternoon, Antrim, the, the most dangerous movie ever made. Not cursed, though. Not cursed. So I'm reading this list of cursed movies, and I'm kind of going through it. Seen it, seen it. Still alive, still like, checking my pulse. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Some of them I hadn't seen. One, I never saw The Omen. I never saw Guinea Pig. Neither of those movies. They're completely opposite movies, but neither of them really appeal to me. Omen's just kind of old and boring. Anyway, so at the very... They're all horror movies, though. They're all horror movies. At the very, very end of the list, even the writer acknowledges. Now, everything else above this was a horror movie. This isn't a horror movie. The year is 1963, and there's this guy named Mordecai Richler. He writes a book. He's a Canadian satirist. He writes a book called The Incomparable Atuk. And it's about an Inuit who travels to the big city. Look at me, I'm from this little village and I used to like catch fish with a spear, but now I'm in New York City and spears are illegal. <laughs> He's getting knifed. Is he getting knifed to death by muggers? It's a very, very short novel. It was a pretty big novel. People loved it. So of course, movie studios wanted to make a movie of it. So who will play Atuk? Who will play this Inuit First off, spoiler alert, none of these people are Native American. None of these people that they're trying to cast are Native American. So it would have, it would have involved some uncomfortable makeup. But anyways, a took, who's going to play a took? The very first choice was John Belushi. Because a took is like a heavyweight dude. So they're like, that's all they want. They want a funny heavyweight guy. So the first person they go after is John Belushi. A couple months later, dies of a drug overdose. 
No one really thinks anything of it. They go to find a new actor. They find Sam Kinison. That's old school. If you guys are younger, you guys don't know who Sam Kinison is. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. My dad hated his guts. Hated his guts. Sam Kinison was pretty much banned from our house. My dad hated him. Sam Kinison, though, was a very, very famous stand-up comedian. He was one of the dudes who'd come out and basically yell at the audience. He used to be a minister. And then he left the ministry and became a really raunchy stand-up comedian. And he died in a car accident. But he died in a car accident a couple years after reading the script of A Took. So he read the script. They actually started shooting the movie. He wanted to change some stuff. He's like, how many times can I yell, get drunk, and harass women in this movie? And they're like, none! None of those things! And he's like, I'm out. He tried making the movie. He died in a car accident much, much later. And I'm going to take a break here to tell you this little story about Sam Kinison, because I have no other way to fit this in. But I remembered this from my childhood, and I think it fits the theme of the show. Sam Kinison died in this car accident. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Where are your seatbelts? His girlfriend, or his wife, maybe, was in the passenger seat. She had her seatbelt on. Minor injuries. He didn't have a seatbelt on. He was headed to a sold-out show, and a drunk 17-year-old kid crashed into him. It was like a head-on collision. Now, this was in, like, the 1980s. The kid causing this accident who killed Sam Kinison got, like, a year in prison. Drunk driving used to not be a big thing at all. Legally. I mean, obviously, like, morally, and it hurt a lot of people. But Sam Kinison, when he gets in this car accident, the impact basically shredded his internal organs. He was only going to be alive for a few minutes. Even if medics got there earlier, there was nothing they could do to save him. And he's in this car... There's two versions of the story. One, he's in the car, and one, he's outside the car. Probably wasn't outside the car because of all the internal injuries. But he's in, he's he's dying. And the woman who was with him, this is what she said happened. He said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And then there was just a pause. And it was like he was talking to someone. It wasn't like he was crying out to the universe. It was like he saw something, and he said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And then there's a pause, and then he goes... But why? And then there's another pause, and he goes, Oh. Okay. Uh. And he dies. Very, very famous story. Um, there's a version of where he went out the car and said that. And other people heard. And then there's a version where he's saying in the car. But either way, it's just interesting that you did have that near death. Well, that's not a, that's that's a death experience. But I thought and I remember hearing that as a kid, and then when I was doing research on for this story, that reminded me of it. I want to share with you. Kind of creepy, but it's also very peaceful. It's also very peaceful. Whether or not my dad hated Sam Kinison, nobody wants to see people suffer, and he's in a better place. Little trivia, <laughs> little depressing <laughs> trivia for you. The script is then given to John Candy. Dies of a heart attack a few months later. At this point, the script does get a reputation of being cursed. Because now we have three high-profile people who have... Three very high-profile people who have died. Who have been attached to the script at some point. Two of them within a couple of months of reading the script. Now, you could say, well, the character is an overweight character. They're looking for overweight people. Other than the drunk driving accident, John Belushi, unfortunately, had drug problems. John Candy just had health issues all around. Just coincidence, right? It's definitely possible. After John Candy passes away, I'm sure you can guess who's next, unfortunately. This is sad because all of these guys are really talented. He gives it to Chris Farley. John Candy. John Candy is having a heart attack. 
he's walking through the ER, uh, uh, and Chris Farley's walking through, I don't know, just pulling pranks, pulling pranks on people with uh, serious diseases, and John Candy hands him the script. Chris Farley gets the script, dies of a drug overdose as well. But see, here's the interesting thing. Chris Farley wasn't interested in the role of a took. Probably, probably because he had this ability to read the newspaper and to know knowledge from the past, as in, everyone attached to the script dies. He read it, he wasn't interested in it. He gave it to somebody else. He gave it to Phil Hartman, who was murdered by his wife while he was laying in bed. Now, to be fair, to be really fair, th that is a, quite a list. And we know for sure Sam and John and John Candy and Chris Farley all dealt with the script. The Phil Hartman one, people are a little more iffy on. That might have actually been... Because, you know, with friends trading stuff back and forth, <laughs> trading baseball cards, hey, I'll give you a Mickey Mantle for that Atuk script. It's all glowing green. There's clawed hands reaching out of it. He may have given it to Phil Hartman. He did pass on it. We do know that. He wasn't interested in it. That could have been something at the end. And, again, to be fair, like, I was blowing off the Omen stuff where they're like, this 89-year-old actor died two years after the shooting of this horror movie. Well, unfortunately, humans pass away. Also with this one, Will Ferrell was offered the script. Jack Black was offered the script. John Goodman was offered the script. They're all alive as of the recording of this episode. April 25th, 2021, and hopefully they live a very long life. So it hasn't killed everyone. And the writer of the script said it didn't kill anybody. The writer of the script, he kind of hates it. He kind of hates the fact that he goes, I think the movie should be made. It's death. He's sitting there with a giant cloak and a sickle. He's like, yes, would you like to be in the movie, reporter? He, he thinks that this is just coincidence, and it very, very well could be. But I do like the idea that there is, because we've talked about this before, cursed items out there. And if you could have like a cursed doll or a cursed painting or a cursed mirror, could you have a cursed idea like, say, the despair code? And if something like that could exist on that extreme, could you have something in the middle? Could you have a cursed script? The book itself isn't cursed. The book itself sold hundreds of thousands, if not millions of copies. But the script, I'm not saying it's the same script that John Belushi had. It's all yellowed and there's coffee stains everywhere. But the ideas in the script itself are a cursed item. Cursed item? Who knows? But I wouldn't read it. Don't, don't cast me in it. If you really like the show Dead Rabbit Radio, don't come knocking on my door and be like, hey, how would you like to be in a feature-length film? I would. How would you like to play a took? And I'd be like, no. No, thank you. I don't want to come anywhere near that script. A creamy squid. Let's go ahead and leave behind Hollywood once and for all. We're never headed back here. No more stories in this cursed city. Let's hop in that carpenter cop to use your creamy squiddy arms to fly us from Hollywood. We're headed out to Scotland. I read the story just the other day and I thought this is a perfect way to start off this week. I love this story. It's a warm summer night in the year 1993. The Carpenter Copter is coming low over the hills of Scotland. Specifically, we see a little tent on the top of a hill. Dundonald Hill, to be precise. That's in Ayrshire in Scotland. So the Carpenter Copter is silently floating over this little campsite. We see a man named George. he got a little tin cup. 
Got a little tin cup full of coffee. <laughs> Sipping it, he's burning his tongue. And his dog, Rover, walking around him trying to get some coffee as well. It's a really jittery dog. And it's just a beautiful night. There's stars. There's no light pollution. There's stars everywhere. There's, like, uh, trees somewhere, I'm assuming. I've never been to Scotland. I'm assuming there's at least one tree within distance of Dundonald Hill. It's just a beautiful night to be out by yourself with your puppy. And then it's time to go in the tent. So, throws the coffee on the fire, crawls into the tent. Rover comes in with him. And George is sitting there reading by little light. Everything's a little in this story. The little show up with their needle swords. And that's when he sees a shadow pass by the outside of his tent. We've all been in this position, right? You see something out of the corner of your eye. You immediately turn. You see no more movement. You think, oh, I might have been mistaken. He goes back to reading. And then he sees it again. But is it a trick of the light? Remember, his only light source is coming from inside the tent. So how he would even be seeing this thing is troubling. But he sees a shadowy figure now standing outside the tent. Not moving, it's not a trick of the light. But could it just be... Again, there's no one up here. He begins to hear, he begins to hear that noise. He begins to hear rasping, heavy breathing. And he still is convinced it's just a trick. Now, I don't know if this is some sort of survival mechanism for him. But he's still thinking, I'm hearing things, I'm seeing things. There's nothing outside of my tent. And it's like almost in reaction to his denial of the event. The whole tent violently shakes to one side. He described it as if someone was walking around outside and tripped on one of the ropes that was securing the tent down and it violently made the shake. It wasn't a constant shaking, just like a guitar string being strummed. The entire tent moved. But now he knows somebody's out here. He's not seeing stuff. He's not hearing stuff. He's seeing physical reaction to it. He jumps out of the tent. He's standing in the darkness of the night. There's no one else around there. He is all alone. When he goes back into the tent, Rover is actually in the far corner of the tent. (laughs) Whimpering. George goes... He didn't say this. We don't know if he said this, but this is what I would say. George goes, Looks like it's going to be a long night, Rover. A long night. Long night. He says he says it all super creepy. Rover's like, why couldn't I have been adopted by someone else? He secures the door of the tent shut as much. <laughs> I laughed so hard when I heard that. How hard can you secure a door shut on a tent? You're like, put a chair up against it to brace it. You have like a giant like board down in front of it. No, it's like you tie a couple ropes around it and hope they're not stronger than a toddler. They won't get in. I guess it would slow someone down, though. So he secures the door shut, and a moment passes. He's sitting there in the tent, and he's like, should I try reading again, or should I pay attention to what might happen? Slowly, the tent begins to sway back and forth. 
like it's being pushed upon by a strong breeze. And then the inevitable, <laughs> we all knew this is going to happen, right? The tent door burst open. All of that twisty ties that he used, all those Boy Scout knots were to no avail. The door burst open. And he can look out into the darkness of the night. He doesn't see anything. He doesn't know what could possibly have opened the door. But Rover is done. Rover <laughs> runs out of the tent, barking into the night. Not barking to protect. Not barking to try to go, come this way, boss. He ditched George. George is watching his faithful companion. George is watching his most treasured ally run off into the darkness, leaving him. And as George is processing the idea that he needs to buy a new dog when he gets back home, something grabs his ankle. He's looking down, and he feels a grip around his ankle, and he's slowly being pulled out of the tent. Now, he can't see what it is, even when he's looking at his ankle, expecting to see a hand or a claw or a maw, you know, like the mouth of something. <laughs> Not like someone's grandma pulling him out. Hey, Sonny! Like the jaws of something. He doesn't see anything. He just feels the pull of this. He's getting pulled out of the tent. And he's reaching down to try to pry off what's ever there. But he can't feel anything there. Except for the grip. He can't touch anything else. Something is pulling him that he can't see. Can't feel. Can't get away from. He's dragged out of the tent. And he's carried about 10 feet along the ground. And he's looking up at this starry night sky. And then... It goes pitch black. The entire universe disappears. Now, he doesn't black out. He can still see the landscape. He can still see himself. He can still see the ground. But when he looks up at the sky, there is nothing but everlasting darkness. That is when he begins to get lifted off of the ground. Whatever is dragging him by the ankle, still simply holding onto his ankle, begins to lift him off. He's starting to hover off of the ground, float. He gets two inches off of the soil. His ears are deafened by a thunderclap, and the black void that used to be the night sky cracks in half with a powerful lightning bolt that streaks across the horizon. He is immediately dropped to the ground. The grip has let go. He stumbles to his feet and begins to run back to his tent. And before he can even get to his tent, he sees the night sky slowly reappear. The stars, the constellations, the moon are once again shining brightly down upon him as he finds the little shelter he can in his tent. He stays in the tent all night long. This was so successful the first time, right? He stays in the tent all night long. And in the morning, he packs stuff up. I don't know how much packing he did. He might have just left his tent there. Obviously, it's useless. People can just break in. He makes his way down the hill, and at the very bottom of the hill sits Rover. <laughs> totally unharmed. Probably looking a little suspicious. Probably feeling a little bad that he abandoned George. They both go home. 
That story is from World of the Strange. I got it from ThinkAboutItDocs.com. They got it from World of the Strange. It's a truly terrifying story. If the story's true, it could obviously be made up. But if the story's true, you're facing something that is indefeatable. There's so many levels of it that are chilling. One is fighting something. Like this, the ghost, the, the, the shadow showing up and shaking the tent. Very, very cliche stuff. I mean, this thing had the ability to wipe out wipe out the known universe. But it's like, ooh, I'm going to shake your tent. But I, it, it adds to that feeling of helplessness. Was this thing toying with him? Whenever he kept trying to dismiss what it was, it seemed to escalate these things. So you have that, you have the playfulness of the spirit, but then you have a raw power level that's very, very rarely encountered. Boogity ghosts coming out of your closet, or shadow men walking down the hallway, they're terrifying. But they can't... Well, on the one hand, they can technically be seen. This thing could be seen walking around the tent, but once things really mattered when you need to see it, it was completely invisible. He's being dragged... By it now that that does follow a ghost thing, but most ghosts again can't go. Oh, that universe you love so much—it's not here. Like, what was that? What was that? Why was that? The story is interesting because it has those questions. It falls out of the normal ghost lore. It falls out of the normal UFO lore. Normally, aliens don't act like ghosts. Normally, ghosts don't act like aliens. So, what was this? It seemed like it was an abduction encounter. But it had the appearance, it had the kind of like theatrics of a ghost. But it literally was being abducted. Then when he starts hovering, you start to think, is a ship going to show up? But the the universe is gone. Is it gone? Was it some sort of weird out-of-body experience? That was another theory I had when I was reading this. The lightning strike almost reminded me of a seizure. Sometimes when people have seizures, they'll see electricity. So I was thinking, was this guy having a seizure? And the dog was like, I'm out, bro. I'm out. This is so weird. Was it all in his head? Did he scare the dog away? But he remembers it because it was created in his brain. The stories we run into, like, you can always argue you can't ever know the truth about any paranormal story. But certain paranormal stories, they'll fit into the lore. I use that term a lot on this show. UFO encounters, we can kind of check boxes, and every so often we'll find one that doesn't. Those are the ones I like to cover on this show. But then you find stuff that's so bizarre that seems to cross all these boundaries. Ghost encounter, missing 411 encounter, UFO encounter, even then the power level of being able to wipe out the universe. And we have covered stories before where people have gone to other universes. There was the one where that guy was walking through the woods. He ended up in... I'll put it in the show notes. He's walking through the wood. He goes through a portal. And the first thing he realized... I just remember this. There was no stars in the sky. There's no st- stars in the sky. And then the hand tried grabbing him and said, Gotcha! Definitely put that one in the show notes. People were like, I want to hear that episode. We've we've covered stories before with no no stars in the sky. But I think we've only covered it twice. Both times they've involved portals. One of them may have involved a UFO taking someone. I won't be able to find that one. I don't... Remember the context, but I think one of them was a UFO took someone to a place on Earth where there are no stars in the sky. So we've seen that imagery before, and even then it's hard to make sense, but we've never seen this switchover happen on our planet. 
UFO, yes, land there, no stars in the sky. Guy walks through a portal in the middle of the woods, no stars in the sky. This guy's being dragged in the ground, he looks up, no stars in the sky. What is going on in this story? And you may go, Jason, that's your job. You're the, you're the paranormal podcast host. You're supposed to figure it out. Sometimes the only answer is, I don't know. And that's what makes this story so scary, is not knowing. You accept a certain level of not knowing when you're investigating ghosts and aliens and Bigfoot. But when even someone who researches it all the time is left scratching their head and going, I have no idea what could possibly be going on here. That's when it gets truly frightening. I've handled ghosts before and demons, and I don't have any problem with those. Never handled an alien before, but I think I would do okay. I think I'd get him in like a little little sleeper hold on his little tiny, tiny alien neck. Put him to sleep. But something that toys with you like a ghost has the strength, the raw power of a Bigfoot-type creature, but is invisible, you can't see it, you can't break free of it, and has the reality-altering powers of aliens. Mind wipes, reality changes, interdimensional travel. When something has the combination of those three, how would you ever be able to stop it? There's no silver bullet. There's no exorcism. You're just... At its mercy. And here's something too. We'll end it like this. Because I think this is a combination of these stories. I don't think that's how that story ended. I think he started to get lifted off the ground. And then. He remembers. The lightning and the thunder. He could have been. Taken somewhere. For hours. I don't think it just gave up. I think it did what it wanted with him. And he has no memory of the true terror that he faced in this thing's layer or starship or dimension. And sometimes not remembering is the best thing. Because if he remembered all of these terrifying events, how horrible would something have to be before your mind said, Nope, don't think about that night. Don't think about what really happened when the sky disappeared. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.